0: This is the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 13th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. From a very young age, I came to believe, I came to know that the defining characteristic of our God is love. And I knew that mainly because, well, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? We, we know this to be true. But what I've realized is that As I've matured in my faith, even as I went through seminary, that foundational truth remained unchanged. Jesus loves us. God loves us. That is God's defining characteristic for us. But what's changed is my understanding of what that means. You see, as I've matured in my faith, I've come to recognize that this love that we speak about, that God has for us and for all of creation, is not kind of the warm and fuzzy kind of love. It's not even the same kind of love that I have for, say, tacos or Legos. Although I love those things, this is not that kind of love. It's more like the love of a parent for a child, a relationship that at this point in my life I've been on both sides of, but it's even bigger and greater than that. It's a love that's willing to go to any lengths, even that of death on earth the cross. And it's in the midst of the betrayal of Judas. It's in the midst of the denials of Peter that we find Jesus instructing his disciples in that very love here today. Disciples who in this moment Jesus refers to as little children. Very much intentional. Very much like my own experience, right? Jesus knows that These disciples are aware of his love for them, for God's love for them, but he also recognizes that they don't yet fully understand what that love means or where it will leave. They are yet children in that experience. See, where we pick up in John's gospel is actually well before the resurrection occurs. This is in the midst of Jesus' farewell discourse in John where he bids farewell to his disciples and invites them to love others as he has first loved them. And then we get, therefore, this new commandment. I want to be cautious, calling something new, because it doesn't mean that the old commandments don't matter anymore. In fact, I would go as far as to argue this builds upon that covenant that God made with the Israelites in the desert see, and it builds upon it because I believe both are, at its foundation, themselves built upon that shared love. Now on the surface, the Ten Commandments comes across as a list of do's and don'ts, a list of, of rules that one has to follow. But it's bigger, and it's deeper than that. These aren't just rules. These are the ten best ways for God's people to live as God's beloved community. And each and every one of these commandments is rooted in love. The very preamble of the Ten Commandments is centered in God's love. It begins by saying, I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of the house of slavery, out of Egypt. In other words, the starting point for the Ten Commandments is a reminder of God's love and salvation history for God's people. What follows then are a handful of commandments about how we can show our love for God. Simple things like remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy, only having one God. Then transitions into how we can love those that God has created, those around us. Things like don't commit adultery, don't murder. This is a pretty low bar, admittedly, right? Like, if that's how we equate love, that's a low bar, but guess what? We limbo right under that bar time and time again in our lives. It's a low standard for love that God has set forth for the Israelites and again here today, and yet we, God's beloved and chosen people, continue to fall short. And when we fall short, that's what we call sin. Sin, more than anything, is something that separates us from God's love and our love for God's people. It makes it hard to come together in compassion for each other and love for one another when we do things to hurt one another, when we pull apart from each other. And that's why today the line that jumped out at me as I was preparing for the message is this, out of Acts, where it says, who was I that I could hinder God? Who am I that I could get in the way of God's love that stands at the foundation of everything God has done for us? In the book of Acts, we get an answer. That thing that hindered people from God turned out to be national origins. As Paul went and witnessed to the Gentiles, a group of Gentiles, by the way, who we are told from the get-go had accepted Christ's love had accepted God's teachings for them. And yet here is Peter going to meet these faithful people and he is ridiculed by his peers. How could you possibly eat with them, they say. He's ridiculed because the people he's been sent to have different dietary restrictions. In other words, they are hindered from being a part of love, a loving community because they're unable to get over this barrier, this hindrance. And it's only after Peter just shares this bizarre vision, right, of, of this blanket coming down filled with animals and God saying, eat them all, right, as I like to call it the blanket banquet that comes on down. And it's only after that happens, and then further theological wrangling and discourse that finally, Finally, are these faithful people willing to say, yeah, I guess those faithful Gentiles might share in the same spirit as us. Okay, we'll let them in. Why, though? Why does it take so much to get to that point? And I think the answer is obvious. Because we like rules that give us power. The power to decide who is in and who is out. Who is with me? who is against me. Truthfully, the church over the millennia has been really, really, really good at using such rules as hindrances from welcoming people into the fullness of God's loving community. You can look throughout our history. Let's take a journey back about 500 years to the time of Martin Luther, the selling of indulgences, where socioeconomic status became the means by which people were excluded from knowing God's love and forgiveness. If you had the money to buy indulgences, then you were loved. And if you didn't, you better hope future generations remember your name and pay them off for you later. And we can sit here and laugh and say, oh, but pastor, that was 500 years ago. We've reformed the church. But I would say, true However, one of the most popular Gospels I hear around me is still that of the prosperity Gospel. This concept, this idea that if you have a lot, it's because God loves you and you deserve to have it because of that love. Which implies, if you don't have enough, clearly you're not loving or loved by God enough either. And that, you see, that becomes a hindrance. But it continues, right? Sometimes it's been gender in the history of the church. Believe it or not, the ELCA and our predecessor bodies took them until 1970 to welcome women into the roster of word and sacrament, to ordain women as pastors. 1970, we were only some 50 or so years removed. But you know what's even crazier? Is the church almost existed for 2,000 years before we got to that point. Why do we hinder people from being apostles, from preaching and teaching and sharing God's love with the world? Indeed, women were some of the most faithful followers, we're told. We heard it on Easter and throughout this season. Mary Magdalene is the first witness to the resurrection. Is the group of women, including Joanna, supporting Jesus and his Galilean ministry with the resources that they had. And yet, we waited until 1970 to allow women to serve in leadership. And if it's not women, then perhaps it's who someone loves. 2009. took us until 2009, where we as a church institution finally allowed for people in the LGBTQIA community to seek coordination. And even then, it's not a level playing field as the open calls to people in those communities are far scarcer than we want to admit for fear of what it looks like to welcome somebody like that into our community. We, as a church, have hindered people from knowing the fullness of God's love because we like those rules. Well, today, in and through Christ's love, We don't get rules. What we get is a new commandment. And this commandment is not prescriptive. Here's what I mean by that. This commandment today doesn't say, if you love others, then God will love you back. No. Instead, it assumes God's love is already there. That you love others as God has already loved you. And so no longer is this prescriptive for how we earn God's love, But now, this new commandment is revelatory. In other words, it is through this commandment that we will be known by the world as Christians. It is through loving others as Christ has loved us that people will undoubtedly know our faith in the Lord who saved us. And this love that we celebrate today is not based on careful calculations. It doesn't seek anything in return. It's not a tit-for-tat where I will love those who I think can help me back. It's not even limited to those that we love. Because today, as Jesus hands out this new commandment, as he instructs his disciples, he instructs those who are going to betray and who deny them. People who, in my opinion, don't seem terribly lovable at the moment. And yet Jesus says to love as I have loved you. Because love, you see, today is an act of witness. It's less of a command and actually perhaps more of an inheritance. It's that which will sustain the disciples as they face the trials that yet lie ahead, including the cross itself. And it's the same love that guides the church even yet today. Because being the body of Christ, being the church, whether it be here on this level as a congregation or as the ELCA as a denomination or as Christianity as a whole across the world is messy, messy work. But it's love that stands at the center of it. And it's what stands at the center of our gospel here today. And what's unique about our gospel is that Jesus teaches this profound thing in such a plain way. Jesus doesn't always do that. In fact, a lot of times he teaches through parables that leave us scratching our heads trying to figure out what does that mean? But he doesn't do that today. He looks at his disciples plainly and says, I love you, and therefore I invite you to love others. It's simple enough that even a toddler can remember it, and yet profound enough. That somebody as mature in their faith as perhaps us or a seminary graduate can be troubled at just how poorly I follow it or how often I don't live up to that expectation. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. And yet, when we fall short of those expectations of loving one another as Christ has first loved us, we must not forget that Christ still loves us. Because remember, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Thanks be to God for that love this day and always. Amen.